Good afternoon, everybody. Got Jalal Madani here with Amy Dietz Graham, and today we're going to talk all things inflation. We're going to describe what inflation's all about. If we haven't talked about it enough, it's still in the news. Still in the news, and uh, <laughs> but we're going to break it down a little bit. Why it's important to understand inflation, what it actually means long term for normal folks like us, and uh, what the opposite of inflation is, and uh, what that can mean too. So that's coming up. On your next date, if you tell your date you talked about this topic, boy, oh boy, you're gonna have a great <laughs> evening because oh, the juices will get flowing. Oh, to I'm totally gonna be ghosted because to today we're gonna talk about inflation. She's totally gonna leave me in the middle of the day, <laughs> right, right from high stake lounge. Would you be upset about that? Um, I mean, are you dating someone new? By the way, I should ask. Am I dating someone new? Yeah. I'm dating multiple news. Multiple oh, getting, boy, yes. This is not gonna be yeah. good for multiple your news. Life. It's, 20, it's 2023, Sean. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah. How do you do it? All right, boys. Okay. Multiple phone numbers. <laughs> inflation. Inflation. So there's two main types of inflation. Okay. One is called headline inflation, which we'll describe in a moment. The other is called core inflation. In the Bank of Canada and other uh, bank, you know, central banks of uh, de- developed economies follow one more than the other. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about headline inflation. And the simple definition of headline inflation, it's the inflation. It's inflation related to all the economies goods and services and commodities encompasses anything necessary like basically encompasses anything you can necessarily buy in an economy mm-hmm. okay yeah. which is depending on the type of country you are it's pretty important to measure that like for instance if you're a developing country where a significant portion of your household budget goes to housing food mm-hmm. and fuel it may be it may be a very relevant inflation number to watch mm-hmm. However, the Bank of Canada doesn't closely follow. They, do, they follow headline inflation, but the one that they watch very closely is mm-hmm. what is called core, core inflation. inflation. What's that? So that's where you strip out the costs of food and fuel because those two things tend to be quite volatile and they can just go through different trends. Why, is, why are they more volatile than other well, items Well, think about how they're affected. Like, think about the Ukrainian war as an example, right? Mm-hmm. So the demand for our oil went through the roof. The cost of food because of a lot of the farming community and the wheat costs, again, that just caused it to skyrocket. So something so kind of like an event-driven created those prices. But there right. are arguments to be made now because we, you're right, the Bank of Canada really focuses on core inflation, mm-hmm. but headline inflation tends to be pretty... It's starting to become more interesting because it's more <laughs> stickier. Like those food and fuel costs that used to kind of be more volatile up and down, they're sticking more they now. They are. They right? Are. And that's why you're hearing governments are having conversations with all the grocers to understand why our food costs just kind of keep going up. Um, and but again, by sticking, you meant like they're, gonna, they're becoming more... Um, uh, in, like, entrenched yeah, in the economy. Yeah. So it's not as like cyclical as it was before or just mm. like event driven. It's tending to be more sticky. And mm. with, you know, population demand and mm-hmm. growth like that, there, there's arguments some economists are saying, like, is it right that we only focused on core and maybe we should be paying a little bit more attention to a headline as well? So I think traditionally you'd exclude food and fuel by extension, but yeah. food specifically out of the actual core CPI number 
because of the, the overall belief was that the major fluctuations in food prices were predicated by things that are well outs, outside the, like the bounds of the Bank of yeah. Canada's control, yeah. like commodity prices internationally, yeah. weather events internationally, weather events, so forth. Yeah. But what we're seeing in food prices is other elements of the core CPI mm-hmm. impacting the cost of delivering the food right. from its, let's say, creation, whether it's being picked off a tree or it's being, mm-hmm. you know, let's say, food processed at a, at a food processing plant yeah. and being transported ultimately onto the grocery shelves. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, if you look at core CPI, one of the main components is transportation costs. Yeah. Transportation costs, one of the main components of transportation inflation fuel. is fuel inflation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. While the groceries, like things in the grocery store, just don't find themselves there by themselves. They yeah. have to get transported there. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a big thing. It's important I, to know the difference because when you hear the media talking about it, sometimes you're hearing like, oh, core inflation is gone down, but headline inflation is up. And, and you know, you need to understand what's being yep. included and not included mm-hmm. in those numbers. Well, if you look at another main component of core inflation is airline fares. Mm-hmm. What's a major component of airline fares? Right. Fuel, Fuel. costs. Fuel. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So there's a b- bigger, greater permutation of food and energy prices being, let's say, parsed across the mm-hmm. broader core CPI measurement. It's starting to be more recognized, mm-hmm. especially in this environment. And that's what's making food prices and fuel prices right. very sticky. Right. Well, it's I, noticeable, I agree. right? It's super yeah. noticeable. Like, you go to the grocery store right now, I was shocked that the other day I paid a lot more attention to it. I usually just kind of hit reorder on my app, but I was mm-hmm. paying more attention to it. It's noticeably different on, like, almost every single item now. So if the Bank of Canada is focused on core CPI mm-hmm. and it's sticky, mm-hmm. what things can the Bank of Canada do apart from raising interest rates to moderate this. Is there anything they can do? Is is interest rates the main lever that they have? Seems to be the main lever that we're leaning on is monetary Mm -hmm. policy. But, you know, we started to talk a little bit about this, about the lag of time. Like when they Mm -hmm. do that increase, you're not feeling it right away. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you know, it's usually around, what are they saying on average now, 16 to 18 months. But it's variable. It could be as short as four months. It could be as long as 29 months. You, that's the challenge that the Bank of Canada has right now. It's almost like when you're getting in the shower, right? Mm-hmm. And you're trying to get the temperature right and you don't want to turn it too far, you're going to burn yourself. So they're trying to do it in increments. But again, because of the variability of they don't know how much you're going to feel it and when, mm. that's the challenge we're in. Mm-hmm. And we happen to be in around the timing of this broadcast 16 months after the first rate increase that was imposed by the Bank of Canada mm-hmm. in 2022. So mm-hmm. Okay. Which is interesting. So if you actually think about that, so if we're just feeling the impacts of those early ones, so now the question is, have we gone too far? Have we gone far enough? We don't know. But when you kind of look around and just say, like, are people starting to change behavior? Because if you think about it, we were in a low interest rate environment for 10 years. Mm -hmm. People got entrenched in cheap money, spending. Now we're trying to change the paradigm to go, no, 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 now you need to save and you need to, because that's why interest rates are high, we're trying to encourage you to save more instead of spending, but it's a hard pattern to get out of. Well, I'll give you an example, okay? So you look at mortgage rates, and in fact, if you look at core CPI, one of the, one of the biggest contributors to inflation in core CPI over the last, let's say, few months has been mm-hmm. mortgage rate inflation. Mm-hmm. I think it accounts for almost a third of it now right. in terms of right. inflation in Canada. And a lot of folks, like when you look at a lot of people with fixed rate mortgages, 
the largest expense that they have in terms of their day-to-day lives, because it's part of their housing costs, is their mm-hmm. mortgage payment. Mm-hmm. But the interest component of their mortgage payment is actually quite small. Right. However, when it comes up for renewal, which a lot of mortgages in over the next year to year and a half are going to yeah. be up for renewal in a totally new interest rate environment, even though housing remains a very large component mm-hmm. of their overall expenditures, mm-hmm. the interest component is going to be almost three times what the average fixed rate mortgage owner was spending in interest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's going to bite. Yeah. So in other words, without going into hard mathematics, let's say you're paying $1,000 a month on a $500,000 2% fixed rate mortgage. Mm-hmm. Well, now you're going to be spending 2300 a month on a $500,000 know, mm-hmm. 6% mortgage. Right. That's right. literally the magnitude. The numbers might not be ac- yeah. absolutely correct, mm-hmm. but th- that's the yeah. magnitude of the expenditure. Yeah. Those dollars have to come from somewhere. Exactly. Right? Right. So so that is when that's why you see the lag of anywhere between six and eighteen or even thirty months yeah. after a rate increase because it has to flow through the economy in that manner. Right, right. But if you start to look around, like I've noticed this kind of anecdotally, just looking at clients' behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a period of time where a lot of people were buying rental properties, right? As as, as you know, as, as an investment purpose, yeah. right? Because you were getting a low rate mortgage, you were able to get somebody in the mm-hmm. tenant, and the tenant was essentially covering the mortgage cost. So it was a thing of beauty. They didn't have to put in any of their own capital, it just kind of carried itself. Well, now that's not the situation. And if you have an older building, you can't increase the rents to keep pace with the interest rate rises. Mm-hmm. You're actually seeing people start to unwind those situations. Like they're selling off those rental properties. And that's why you're seeing mm-hmm. more condos coming onto the market because people are going, eh, do I want to keep holding on to this? Because it's costing me money every month. Well, now. what's happening is, you know, you're, you're engaging into a housing market because most, most, let's say, mom and pop rental owners engage mm-hmm. in the rental market. Mm-hmm. Canada has actually, as, as it relates to housing prices across the G7, the highest housing prices. I know. In the world, isn't that hard to believe? Huge. In the world, in, in the world, world. <laughs> in the world, it, it, like place. we, like if, you, if, like we almost have, I think, t- like I think our house, average house price is almost two times as high as the average house price in the United States. Jeez. And use uh, your eyeball test. I mean, you could buy a beautiful home in Dublin, Ohio, like probably three thousand square feet on, let's say, a half acre lot. It may run you on a dollar to dollar basis somewhere in the neighborhood of four hundred thousand U.S. That equivalent house uh, anywhere in the GTA is going to run you about one point three to one point five million. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you use your eyeball. So, what if you're investing in real estate because of the price you're having to go in at your cap rates, the, in, effectively what you earn from the rent as a percentage of your of your acquisition costs mm-hmm. is really low, like as mm-hmm. low as it's ever been, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and your financing costs are as high as it's been in thirty four years. Right. The economics don't work. Right, right. And this is just at a time when we have a lot of issues around housing. So yeah. it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that unwinds. Um, but let me ask you, like the, 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 the central bank, bank of Canada has raised interest rates for consistently for a year and a half. Do you think it's working? Like, are we seeing things slowing? Again, I think because of the lag effect, I think you're starting to see it work. Like, mm-hmm. again, I think people's behaviors are starting. People are becoming more mindful. People are, at least the clients I'm talking to, are well aware of their borrowing costs. Some are very well aware of when their renewal dates are. We're doing a lot of updates on financial plans to kind of stress test the case mm-hmm. to see what it looks like. Mm-hmm. So I think it's starting, but I don't think we felt the real brunt of it yet. Um, I think that's to come. Do you think the Bank of Canada wants to see zero inflation in the economy? 
No. No. No, of course no. not. Why, why no. would that be? That's why we have that 2% target, right? That 2% target. Like, there, there's a reason why, and I don't know if we've ever talked about mm -hmm. that, like why the government tries to, or the central banks try to target that 2%. Mm -hmm. They want to remove that variability because if you're a business owner or you're, you're an individual and you're trying to plan, mm -hmm. you want to have some consistency. Yep. Right? And so when you have these big swings and they're going up and down, and it's hard to plan because you just don't know what you're going to have. And that's why they were so good when this when they started using monetary policy to target that 2%. They did it really well for a long time, yeah. and then then we had really low Yeah, the central rates. bank will always refer, that, refer to that as price stability. Yeah. You know, that's critical to businesses planning out their uh, their business plans and yeah. how, you know whether or not they're going to make acquisitions down the road, mm -hmm. where they're going to invest in business, so mm -hmm. forth. So a little bit of inflation is important. The yeah. other reason inflation is important in the economy is it encourages spending. Right. So in other words, you know, you have a choice. When you, if let's say you have capital to spend or, or invest or whatever, if you have a choice between spending today or tomorrow, if you feel prices are going to be higher tomorrow than they are today, right. you're likely going to make the purchase decision earlier rather than later. And that's right. critical to keeping an economy going. Right. Versus the opposite of inflation is deflation which is devastating to an economy. Right. And that's right. a scenario where prices are habitually falling quarter over quarter right. or year over year. That's actually, that's even harder to stop yeah. than inflation. Yeah. And that's devastating because if you're a consumer and you want to purchase something and you feel it's going to be cheaper six months to a year to two years out, you're, you're going to delay that purchase exactly. rather than doing it now. Yeah. So that is so that demand is not go, demand goes down in that case, for example, for yep. whatever commodity yeah. or whatever product, and then supply because demand's down, supply's up, and yep. then companies have to drop prices so they can get rid of their supply, and then and then it just spirals downwards. Yeah. I, I, they I call I that a assume. deflationary spiral. spiral. Okay, I didn't know that. That, okay. Is, that is not something that comes. No, it, it definitely just sounds devastating. As yeah, you yeah, you don't yeah. want that. So so, yeah. but the risk of rapidly increasing interest rates. We hear it all the time: is that you could teeter the economy into recession. Because, like you, you kind of alluded to this. You know, when you're when you're when you're a central bank, be it the Fed or the Bank mm. of Canada or the uh, European Central Bank, you, when you're managing monetary policy, it's akin to driving a car down a road, but all you have to guide you is what you see in the rearview mirror. Right. You don't have anything. You can't see forward. You don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. So, they're doing a very delicate tightrope walk because at the end of the day. They could raise rates to such an extent that you could tip the economy mm -hmm. into a... Actually, let me back it up a step. We're very likely going to go into a minor recession. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. That's my personal view, not the view when, National Bank. We've been talking yeah, yeah, yeah. about this yeah. for like two years, a recession. It's starting. Yeah, it's starting it's to roll starting, over. It's starting. Yeah. But there is a risk that we could go into something more serious. And when that happens, that's when you get into a deflationary spiral. Mm -hmm. There's another outcome, too. And that's called stagflation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And stagflation is simply that you, you know, you basically have risen rates in the economy. You've stagnated the economy as a result of it. Yeah. But inflation remains persistent. Right. So you have very limited or zero economic growth in an inflationary environment. Right. Right. Which is really bad. Not as bad as deflation. It's the mm -hmm. second worst because you have prices that are steadily increasing but the purchasing power within the economy is not there. Right, mm -hmm. right. So you're losing ground, mm -hmm. yeah. which is an unsustainable unsustainable type right. of economic right. circumstance. Right, Gotcha. So I had a question for you guys. Mm -hmm. So bringing it back to clients and, <laughs> and, and all that stuff. So for example, in the inflationary uh, environment that we live in right now, right, 
uh, Bank of Canada and the Fed saying that uh, rates might stay high for longer than anticipated. Higher mm-hmm. for longer. That's a new headline that we read every day. Now. Yeah, 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 it is, right? <laughs> it is. And there's a high chance both the Fed, for example, speaking about North America, both the Fed and the Bank of Canada might have to raise rates at least one more time from mm-hmm. now till mm-hmm. till the end of the year, mm-hmm. if, you know, 2023. I'm sure you guys have, and you probably know people or clients or whatnot that um, uh, that are thinking about retirement in the next year to two years mm-hmm. to three years, right? Mm-hmm. They were they had like for example some kind of financial plan. You probably worked with them on yeah. a financial plan to let's just say I don't know sell a house, buy a property, whatever it is, mm-hmm. whatever was part of that financial plan. Yeah. What do you guys advise? Like, what, what, what's your guys' outlook? If, if somebody was asking you, if I was a potential client right now, right? And I'm thinking about retirement in the next yeah. year or two years. I know previously, Amy, you've said you guys buffer things, but I'm pretty sure you didn't buffer for like, you well, know, see, this level do, of high rates and stuff like that, right? But I don't think that this is going to be forever. So to, to build a financial plan to say this is the new norm for 40 years, no. Probably not reasonable. But right? it's a financial plan. I'm, I'm approaching retirement, Correct. so as I said, right? So, Correct. like, it's not 40 years. I want to know my five year financial plan outlook. Like, well, right. But when you're retired and you have no income coming in, that portfolio is going to last you like 40 years. So, to us, when we're modeling, oh. I'm not mm. going to model a, you know, a 7% inflation rate and go, that's normal for 40 years because it's just not. Oh, However, what, what you okay. can do is you can model. So if we're if we're have a certain number on inflation, mm-hmm. we can have a lower number on the rate of return to build in per- buffers and parameters to go. You know what? Maybe not going to hit that two percent number every single year, mm-hmm. or you could even add, you know, gross it up to three percent to be a little more conservative. Right. That one percent difference over forty years is, is massive, by the way. Yeah, but yeah. to build in those levels of buffer and what if. Scenario so that clients mm-hmm. can have the peace of mind to go listen. This doesn't feel great right now, mm-hmm. but I don't think this is going to last forever. Things gotcha. will. We go through cycles, right? And, yeah. and it's and it's natural to feel like it's going to last forever, but it it's won't. natural to feel but like it's Armageddon. Yeah. <laughs> also, True. I think it's more important than ever that you have to understand your income streams yes. and the differences there within. And I'll give you a simple example. People who used to love rental properties because mm-hmm. in their mind, you buy a property at 100000 you sit on it for 20 years, and you sell it for 400000 What a great rate of return. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay, don't disagree. But very few people fully cost out their rental properties. Mm-hmm. They don't add in the property taxes they had to pay on their rental the properties, maintenance, the utilities, repairs. the maintenance, the vacancy rates, if there mm-hmm. is any. Mm-hmm. Then if you net out your, in, your rental income, it's taxed at your high, at your marginal tax rate mm-hmm. as if you went out and earned it at a job. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not very tax efficient. No. And then you also have to pay capital gains on the sale price once you, you know, basically once you sell your condo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, disingenuous for any of us sitting in this table to say you shouldn't own real estate, but at the end, at the end of the day, it has a very different uh, context from an income standpoint. Right now, people love GICs, and you know what? So they should. A one-year GIC right now, you can get anywhere between 5.6 and 5.8%. I haven't seen that in my career. Phenomenal. But again, you got to look at it. If you hold a GIC in a non-registered account, you're going to pay tax on it as if you went out and earned it at your top, at the at not necessarily the top marginal rate, but at your marginal rate. Mm-hmm. So 5.8% can very quickly become 4% or 3.75%, mm-hmm. depending on what tax rate you're in. Mm-hmm. Inflation's still running around 4 You're losing ground on mm-hmm. a GIC on an after-tax basis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The only income stream historically that's been able to outpace inflation in all inflationary environments... Let me environments, guess, let me guess, because I think you love it. 
Dividends. Dividends. <laughs> it's true. Ding, ding. Was I was I right? Yes, I knew it. Sean, Sean, your name, middle name should be Dividend. Sean <laughs> Dividend Durkin. Well, you've heard the term. You've heard the term. It pays dividends. Well, they, where do you think that came from? There you right, go. Right. Right. So, it, but that's true. Dividend growth. In, dividend growth in the S and P 500 and the S and P TSX has consistently outpaced inflation for over 50 years. It's the yeah. only one. Only income stream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, do share prices track lock and step with that? Probably not. But the average dividend grower in North America grows their dividend north of 10% per annum. Wow. On average. Some grow way more than that. Some grow somewhat less than that. But that tends to be the average Mm -hmm. if you look over Mm -hmm. time. So dividends it is then. Well, it's, again, it's not. Yeah, it may, may, it's may or may not be. Yeah, yeah. And we did have a podcast yeah. called, you know, when we called it all about the income. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, and you highlighted very in a very detailed manner the importance yeah. of having, for example, and, and the benefits of have, having uh, dividend paying stocks. Yeah. Right. And just the, the greatness of it. So but you're more right now we're in the environment where you have to pay attention to all the income streams and, yeah. and the tax there within and so on and so forth. Like, for yeah. instance, paying tax on rental income is very different than paying taxes on, on the dividends from your Canadian bank holdings. Right. Yeah. One's taxed at a much more preferential rate than the other. Right. Yeah. And it makes a difference. Well, you know, all this talk on inflation and stuff like that, and you brought up a very good point, or the the, the, the topic of mortgages, Sean, earlier, um, you, alluded to, you alluded to it too, Amy. I really want to bring back um, uh, Teresa to talk about, because what's, what's what's what I'm reading a lot in the news right now is banks, right, mm-hmm. and, and their credit... You know, yeah, and their, yeah. their credit losses face. Mm-hmm. And Jamie now, yeah. I think it was this morning or over the weekend, Jamie Dimon was saying like, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if rates hit 7%. He's like, right. I said, I think Jamie Dimon, I think a year ago or a year and a bit ago, he said they're going to hit five or five and a half. He's like, nobody believed me. And now we're at 5.25 to 5.5, yep. I believe in the US. So it, I want to really speak about that because this mm-hmm. is tied to inflation, right? Because mm-hmm. mortgages, inflation, cost of living, people can't afford their their mortgages, people can't afford their houses anymore. <laughs> you know, the ba- or even loans, commercial loans, corporate loans, whatever types of loans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Banks now face these losses, these credit losses. So, and I know we have Teresa uh, with us at National Bank, but I really think it, it'd be yeah, a. Yeah, do a, that as another topic. Yeah, like how is I? I'm not saying any Canadian bank's gonna you know go bankrupt or whatnot, right? You and I, Sean, have spoken that that the chance of that are extremely rare. But how is it going to look like? What are banks facing at a technical level? How does that look like to the average consumer? Without going into extreme detail, Canadian yeah. banks are amongst the best in the world at understanding their it. loan books, yeah. predicting using algorithms and models how much default they're going to have. Well, and, and, then, and oh, rules were introduced to make sure that people, when they were applying, were able yeah. to qualify at higher rates, even despite rates being low. Yeah. You had to be stress tested. Yeah, but the, the stress test, rate. did it take into account these high rates, though? Right. And the, well, this cost of living right. in general? But Jalal, new mortgages po- are actually accounting for the new high rates. They are. Yeah. And here's the other thing. People, this is why we have to talk about, you have to manage your expectations. If those costs are going up, you're most people are going paycheck to paycheck, right? Okay. So if people need to kind of curb in some of their spending and they're still like, if we look at travel numbers, people yeah. are still traveling a ton right now. Well, you're going to have to make the decision. You can't go on these wonderful trips if you can't. Pay well, that's why, really, go ahead. And that's why the economy slows. Cause you're going to ha- have to make choices because there's like people very rarely are people going to, let's say default on their mortgage as their first line of sight before mm-hmm. cutting elsewhere. You need a yeah. roof mm-hmm. over your head, mm-hmm. but back to the bank, Canadian bank point, And we, maybe it's warrants a, a further discussion, but mm-hmm. They will allocate an amount of money mm-hmm. to a portion of loan, projected loan, loan losses. losses. They'll be overly conservative on it. And if, if like any other time in history, including 2008, 2009, when the loan losses don't come in like they pr- 
projected, I'm, I'm using air quotes around projected, yeah. they'll add that money back in their net income. So ba- the Canadian banks have been, at least historically, very adept at managing through these kind of periods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't doubt it. I just thought it would be a great topic to, uh, just because it ties in with, with mortgages yep. and inflation, like what, what, for we, that. Spoke, yeah. what we spoke about. Today. So, Joel, you got some talking points for your uh, your date time <laughs> between the appetizers That's and exactly the That's exactly what I'm going to talk about, Sean. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm going to talk about. Let's go talk about the inflation of the glass of water that I have to get the girl. Yeah. Awesome. Or a bunch of girls. <laughs> Till next time. Thanks, everybody.